The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. All financial advice provided on this show is for entertainment and educational purposes only. The financial ideas and strategies discussed are only provided as a starting point for a conversation about money matters. With regard to your particular investments and financial strategies, consult your financial planner, CPA, or investment professional. All your financial decisions are yours and yours alone to make and subsequently are solely your responsibility. The information that is supplied through the context of the radio program and any repurposing of its content by the host or network is a combination and collection of solid financial investment understanding, opinion, and comments. This network, show, and its hosts are not liable for financial strategies, outcomes that you employ in any manner that result in any kind of loss. Shares of corporate sponsors may be the subject of buy or sell recommendations in Jay Taylor's newsletter in accordance with Jay's objective opinion. Now the thing about time is that time isn't really real. It's just your point of view. How does it feel for you? Einstein said he could never understand it all. Planets are spinning through space. Smile upon your face. Welcome to the human race. Some kind of Sliding down, I'll be gliding down. Try not to try too hard. It's just a lovely ride. Welcome to turning hard times into good times with your host, Jay Taylor. This hour will help investors fix issues and achieve personal gain. Now here's your host, Jay Taylor. Welcome to Turning Hard Times into Good Times. I am your host, Jay Taylor. I am also the author of a newsletter called Jay Taylor's Gold, Energy and Tech Stocks, and my company, Taylor Hard Money Advisors, is also in partnership with Roger Wiegand, who publishes Trader Tracks, and the brilliant Chen Lin, who publishes What is Chen Buying? What is Chen Selling? We do have a special introductory offer to all three of our newsletters. Go to miningstocks.com, miningstocks.com, or call my assistant in New York at 718 718- Four five seven one four two six. That's Claudio Bossi seven one eight four five seven fourteen twenty six. The best website to go to now for everything that I do and my partners do actually would be jtaylormedia.com without the triple W's. J A Y T A Y L O R media.com. There you can access this radio show, all three of our newsletters, video interviews that I've done with a number of CEOs of mining companies and appearances that I've made on CNBC, Fox, and BNN. I want to thank our sponsors uh, for making this show economically viable. For the first hour of today's show, they are Gold Bullion Development, Crocodile Gold, Legend Gold, Calico Resources, Brigus Gold, and Palangio Exploration. also want to thank each of you for listening to this show, for making this the number one show on the Voice American Business Channel. This show takes, uh, uh, generally speaking, on this show we take a look at the theoretical reasons behind the global economic problems we are facing. 
And having identified the reasons for those problems we are facing and understanding why the policies implemented are leading to economic distortions, we are in a better position to know how to respond as individual investors. Knowing what kind of investments we want to make is a very important step. It's a first step, but then execution of our investment strategies by making the best possible investment choices is also very important. Given the distorted markets, the nature of them as they exist today, most of our recommendations are in the mining industry. Well, how can we pick the best stocks in the mining sector? Uh, that is something your host is very much involved with in my newsletter, Jay Taylor's Gold, Energy, and Tech Stocks. But to help you understand the concepts and terminology provided in company press releases, I'm happy to tell you that Dr. John Mark Stoudy, he's the president of Riverside Resources, will be with us in just a couple of minutes, and he'll be here to help you understand exploration geology, terminology, and the concepts that are underlying uh, that discipline, and also so that you'll be in a better position to understand press releases, understand uh, the risks inherent in this industry. By the way, let me suggest that you go to investmentpitch.com, which provides video footage to help you understand news releases from companies in the mining industry as well. That's investmentpitch.com. Well, Dr. Stoudy will round out the first part of today's uh, first hour of today's show, and he will come back during the start of the second hour. Then, renowned deflationist Ian Gordon will be joining us during the second half of the second hour, and he'll be with us for almost all of the third hour as well. He'll be talking about the Kondratiev cycle, and he'll tell you why he thinks no matter how much money Mr. Bernanke prints, we are heading for a deflationary depression that will make the 1930s look like child's play. Ian will also tell you why he thinks the Dow is going to 1000 and gold to $4,000 per ounce. Finally, time permitting, I will share a couple of my top stock picks at the very end of today's show. There is so much to talk about. So little time to get it done. So let's jump right into the first commercial break. Don't go away. I'll be right back with John Mark Stoudy. Find out what's happening on the Voice America Talk Radio Network. Find out about new shows, featured guests, and what's up this week. Find us on Facebook by searching keyword Voice America. Want to know more about how you can turn financial losses from the most devastating stock market and economic decline since the 1930s into wealth and prosperity? A successful strategy for dealing with adversity requires a proper diagnosis of the causes and solutions to underlying problems. By applying rarely taught Austrian economic theory to policies implemented by our policymakers, Jay Taylor has been able to triple the value of his model portfolio since 2000, while the stock market has been in the worst bear market in decades. At MiningStocks.com, Jay and his associates provide a framework for turning the pains of the current bear market and recession into investment gains. Jay is a frequent radio and TV guest and speaker at investment conferences where he shares his highly profitable Austrian economic insights at a time when most people are seeing their 401ks become 201ks or worse. He is available to share his rare profit-making insights via radio, TV, and public speaking engagements. To profit from Jay's insights, call 718-457-1426 or visit MiningStocks.com to subscribe to his profitable newsletters. 
Barkerville Gold Mines, BGM on the TSX.V, is focused on the exploration and development of its gold projects in the historic Caribou Gold Fields in British Columbia. Barkerville's mineral tenure now encompasses over 111,000 hectares, covering the 60-kilometer long by 20-kilometer wide geological belt and includes seven past-producing mines and two of Barkerville's own proposed open pit mines, currently in the permitting process. Barkerville recently announced the acquisition of the QR mine and 900-ton-per-day QR mill. Barkerville Gold began mining operations in February of 2010 and is expecting to produce 50,000 ounces in its first full year of mining. Crocodile Gold Corp is a new gold producer with bite. With operating gold mines in the Northern Territory of Australia, Crocodile Gold produced 82,000 ounces of gold in 2010. Crocodile Gold has significant exploration upside on its expansive land package of 2,500 square kilometres. Please visit our website at www.crocgold.com for more information. Don't let this snappy opportunity pass by. If you think you've seen online TV before, let us surprise you. VoiceAmerica.tv is online now. The leader in live internet talk radio has done it again. Multiple channels, a state-of-the-art viewing experience, live and on-demand programs streaming 24 hours a day. It's exactly what you want, when you want it. VoiceAmerica.tv. From health and wellness to business, sports, and everything in between. Discover our new world. Visit VoiceAmerica.tv now and experience the future of online television. VoiceAmerica.tv. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. Welcome to the human race. Some kind of love and ride. I'll be sliding down, I'll be gliding down. Try not to try too hard. It's just a love. You're listening to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with your host, Jay Taylor. If you have a question or comment about today's show, Jay would love to hear from you at 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. You can also send an email to questionsfortaylor at gmail.com. That's questions, the number four, taylor at gmail.com. Now, back to our program. Welcome back to Turning Hard Times into Good Times. I'm your host, Jay Taylor, and I'm really pleased to have with me Dr. John Mark Stoudy. He is the president and CEO of Riverside Resources, trades on the Toronto Exchange under the symbol RRI, and in the United States you can buy it, as I have, under the symbol RVSDF, recently trading at about $1.20. And uh, very few shares outstanding, I think around $28 million uh, or $25 somewhere in that range, uh, Anyway, John Mark Stoudy holds a Ph.D. in economic geology and has over 20 years of diverse mining and exploration experience in precious and base metals. He earned a Master's of Science from Harvard University in 1989 and a Ph.D. in economic geology from the University of Arizona in 1995. Dr. Stoudy held positions of increasing responsibility with a number of major international mining companies, including Kennecott, BHP Billiton, and most recently Tech Cominco. He also worked with similar commodity-focused companies like Magma Copper Company and consulted to private investment groups. Mr. Stoudy, his extensive Latin American mineral resource experience began in Mexico and then extended through South America. 
Recently, Dr. Saudi has ventured into Europe and Asia, initiating campaigns and managing successful exploration programs in Turkey, Romania, and China. Dr. Saudi has been successful in creating shareholder value through discoveries of gold and copper in Mexico, Peru, and Turkey. He has located additional resources in known districts and helped convert discoveries into new mining operations. His technical and managerial experience spans more than 30 countries. Uh, in diverse geological environments. Through Riverside Resources, uh, John, Sta- John Mark Stoddy has continued to build strong portfolios and portfolio business through prospect generation, early stage partnering, and drill discoveries. John Mark has been on this show at least a couple of times in the past to talk to you about Riverside Resources, the company he founded and for which he serves as president and CEO. For the sake of full disclosure, I should say that Riverside is a recommendation in my newsletter and that I own the stock personally, as does my wife. I should also mention that Riverside has been a sponsor to the show in the past, though it is not currently a sponsor. Well, I asked Dr. Stoddy to come on to my show today to help investors who may not be that familiar with terminology and concepts related to the mining industry, to exploration and development, mining uh, mining economics, to come on the show I've asked him to come on the show to help provide some basic, foundational, fundamental understanding of the mining industry. This is a a very risky business, but in good times like those we are in now, it can be an extremely rewarding sector in which to invest. And I know of no one who can do a better job of outlining the risks and the rewards for the mining industry than Dr. John Mark Stoudy. Thank you very much, John Mark, for agreeing to come on our show uh, to tell our listeners a little bit about the mining industry to provide a, a basic foundational understanding for the sector. Thank you very much. Thank you, Jay. It's wonderful to be on your show, and uh, you're really great at reaching out to some such strong tier listeners. Well, I'm really glad to have you here. I feel for you. I know you're having a little bit of laryngitis, and uh, it's not fun talking on the radio or talking at all when you have that problem. So a double thank you today for agreeing to come on uh, under under these circumstances. I'd like to start out with uh, sort of what we call in the industry grassroots exploration, in other words, early exploration. You know, I lived in Ohio where there's little, as far as I know, no gold production, no gold uh, that exists in the state, I'm sure, you know, underground. And so the thought never occurred to me to look in my own backyard for gold. But what do I know? Perhaps there is gold in Ohio. But I would like to start out by asking, how would a geologist know where to even start looking for gold or for any mineral for that matter? Are there certain geological characteristics that make it more likely uh, that you'll find metals in one place or another? There are, Jay. Some of the things as a geologist that you have to look at are go back to the fundamentals of plate tectonics, Mm -hmm. which are around the oceans. Lots of rock gets pushed up and you find a lot of gold in the middle of continents. is usually very old and that's when you find other things like diamonds and iron, the ages of rocks, different mm-hmm. ages of rocks. Rocks actually go back to being billions of years old, mm-hmm. and there are different concentrations of elements, which are then going to the minerals that we find. So it isn't that they're spread equally everywhere. Mm-hmm. And so the first things you have to do is use some of the basic geological principles of where things are concentrated. Mm-hmm. So you would be looking for maybe gold and silver and copper, I suppose, uh, some of those metals along closer to where there's a lot of uh, plate tectonic activity uh, in recent geological times. Is that right? That's correct. And even through older time, too, 
So they often line up on, on long linear belts, kind of like today when we see faults. A big fault in the United States, in the western United States, is the San Andreas Fault, going mm-hmm. from Los Angeles all the way up to San Francisco. And that's forming gold deposits today. But those are being formed down deep in the earth, too mm-hmm. deep for us to get them. So mm-hmm. if we go a little bit to the east, a little bit continentward, we find a whole belt of gold deposits. What better co- call it the mother load? of uh, the Sutter's Mill and the 1849 gold rush. That is a typical, and it's usually called a belt. Well, a good place to find gold and silver is in belts. Mm-hmm. John, Mark, just to give our listeners some sense of, of, the, of, the, of the scale of what we're talking about here, when you say gold is being formed these days, gold and other minerals are being formed these days at great depths, what kind of depths might, be, might we be talking about? So... What we're talking about in depth and time is much longer than a human lifespan. Mm-hmm. We're talking of times when we talk about times back to the dinosaurs or, mm-hmm. or something, so very long periods of time. And the depths we're talking is kilometers. Mm-hmm. Generally what happens is the hot water can transport metals, and as it cools, it drops them out. It's like having salt in water. If you cool the salt water, at the end, when you cool it down, the salt falls to the bottom, and you have water on top. Mm-hmm. What happens with this is that the depths are one kilometer to five kilometers deep. So you get it down a mile or three miles deep is where often the gold can be deposited. Not always. There's all kinds of other factors. And largely it's when things go from hot to cold. Okay. Uh, so let's say that you've identified some of these structures. Uh, they would largely be along uh, along the ocean or along uh, continental Borders, uh, I guess also probably, though, in some cases in the middle of continents or, or where you've had some mountains have, have thrust up against each other, uh, or you two, two plates have collided into each other and created mountains. Is that another place where you might find some mineralization? It is. In fact, when we talk of different mineralization, there's a whole gamut of, of different types of mineralization. So for gold, you can have gold that's actually eroded down, and that's called placer gold. Mm-hmm. And that's some of the first gold that's often found in a place because you can just walk out and find it in the sand on the surface. Mm-hmm. The problem is that it's usually not that much. and mm-hmm. It's not necessarily that concentrated for large volumes. Mm-hmm. Then you can get gold in hot springs. That's right at the surface. The water's come up and boiled up. Another place you get gold is in the feeders, which are the, the faults and the different, different zones. Call it like a freeway, the mm-hmm. highway of water coming up to the earth, and gold gets concentrated in that. If you follow it down to a kilometer or two kilometers, you can get it to go into the intrusion like you're down into the middle of a a volcano. As you're down there, you can get gold. And we use a special word called porphyry, which just means a rock that's been cooled quickly. And as that rock is cooled quickly, gold is concentrated. And then finally, we can find gold very deep in long deep faults that are 10 kilometers deep, and those are often in the mountain building. So as you mentioned, the plate tectonics in the mountain building, those are very deep, but as we uplift the mountains and erode them down, we actually get deep levels of 20 kilometers or 15 kilometers, and when you get into that 10-kilometer depth, you often find gold. Mm -hmm. Very interesting. Well, let's say that you've identified some geological structures then, John Mark. You are an exploration geologist. Uh, You've done this in the real world, uh, not just in theory. 
How would you then go about prospecting and looking to, to find, to locate the minerals? So you've identified some structures where it might be a likely place to find to find some metals that you're looking for. And I know a lot of the, the geological work is just simply hard manual work. You go out and you map properties. Uh, you, you, know, you try to get the lay of the land. Uh, could you tell our listeners a little bit about what mapping entails and, and what does the geologist learn from mapping? Actually, yeah, that's right. And you know what's wonderful? In the last 20 years, with the advent of computers and satellites, we actually don't have to go out to so many different places for so long. Mm-hmm. There are new tools that are helping us in mapping, but we have two co- conversations here. The first is geological characteristics. So the geological characteristics that we look for are big faults and things like that that you can see in the field, but you can also see on your topographic map, mm-hmm. maybe even on your freeway map. Mm-hmm. If you go down the highway, often the highway will follow uh, the, the places that are lower or go straighter, and those are often faults. So the topography map helps. A geologic map is drawn between different units of geology, and so you have to go to the field and you map it. In fact, I have a video series called John Mark's Geotutorial, and you can see the process of making a map. And we do these just for uh, easy for your listeners and for other people that are from the general public that are interested in how are geological characteristics captured and put together. Mm-hmm. Okay, so triple W, give that to us again. Triple W, R I V R E S dot com, rivres dot com, and that we under the YouTube videos. Fantastic, yeah, I've seen those videos and, and would tell our listeners that it's well worth their time to go to go um, to go watch that and to listen to what John Mark has to say. Actually, it would be a good reinforcement, I think, of the things we're talking about today because this is just audio, and if you can see. The visual helps to understand very much better than just the audio. Okay, so you've identified uh, or you've done this mapping, geological mapping, and and also, um, you know, the mapping of the lay of the land. Uh, What do you – there are a whole lot of tools, and if you can maybe explain to our listeners a little bit about what some of those tools are that once you've done the mapping, uh, there, there are other things you can do like soil chemistry, geochemistry, uh, I know you look at plants, uh, there's geophysics and all those different things. Perhaps you can just give our listeners a sense of what some of those, some of the technologies are today and, and how they can help geologists try to identify uh, a likely place for gold or silver or copper or what have you. So for us, if we start off as, say we're prospecting geologists and we're set out to try to find gold or other minerals, what we're going to do is use these different tools. So some of the first things we do is, we get a map and we get access to the area. We then go out and we uh, begin to use sampling of the streams. The streams are a wonderful early stage tool. And you know, the governments of many countries have helped us and previous workers. If we can get the previous information, that helps a lot. And who helps us more than anything is the previous prospectors. Mm-hmm. We can go and visit old mine sites, old prospect locations. And they're not environmentally difficult, and they're not a big mess. They're usually just a small digging, smaller than would be uh, the doorway that you walk through probably to get into the room that you're sitting in. So there's a small little digging there. But in that digging, there'll be exposure of something that we then sample. We look at the elements that are taken from that, and we begin to initially get an idea of what might be present. 
using what people have done before, standing on the shoulders of others, is a great way to start. Then we try to expand and see how broad, how long this can go. So as a prospector, we're always walking up creeks. Mm-hmm. The reason we like to be in the creeks is everything rolls downhill. Mm-hmm. So by walking up the creek, you get the greatest distribution of seeing so many things. And we look at the floats and the little blocks in. And I'll tell you, Jay, I don't know, with my kids, we go on a hike and we end up not going very far because I get stuck in the creek looking at all the stuff that's in the creek. <laughs> yeah, I would imagine you're seeing a lot of things. Uh, the the knowledge that you have about exploration and your your mind is probably working about, you know, in terms of, how did these things get here? Where did they come from? And you're looking at the rocks and trying to – it probably tells you a lot about the structure around you. Um, so let, let's talk about some of, the, some of the tools that you have besides stream sampling. I mean, I hear a lot about soil geochemistry. Um, what does that tell us? Soil geochemistry is very helpful because it tells right at the surface mm-hmm. what some of the mineralization that's actually deeper down – is getting concentrated at the surface in the soil. And so what you do is you dig a hole and you sample different layers in the soil. And what it tells us is it gives us an indicator of what's underneath. We have, there's two types of soil. There's transported soil and there's in-situ soil. In-situ soil is soil that's just developed there where everything else has been washed away. We find a lot of these in tropical environments, but also in other parts uh, of the uh, of the world, you find them all over, and that tells us chemically what's underneath us. Mm-hmm. What about I, I know that you know some of the companies that I've properties that I've visited, they've used plant, uh, they've used bio, you know they've they've used plant um, uh, characteristics to try to try to determine something about for prospecting to determine whether or not I guess that would have to do with the soil conditions, perhaps, eh? Well, actually, the plants do even more than that. Plants because they're they're they're, they're a life form, they concentrate certain things and don't pick up others. And the root systems go down, and as they, use the, as they grow, they actually concentrate and suck up different elements. For example, us in our body, we need to have calcium and we need to have vitamin, different vitamins. And, uh, you know, our mothers always say, you got to eat your vitamins. Well, the same thing for plants. The plant's vitamins are minerals. Those minerals get concentrated. So but there are certain minerals that are bad for you, such as arsenic or gold or other things that you don't need to eat. You don't have to have a lot in your body. So mm-hmm. some of that gets concentrated in the leaves because mm-hmm. the leaf is a way for a plant to get rid of certain things that it doesn't otherwise need. In the mm-hmm. fall, when it drops its leaves, it, it drops all of those impurities that it no longer needs. So mm-hmm. plants are a good way to do it. And also mm-hmm. the water. We actually can sample the water itself and water as it moves through around, it can concentrate different elements. You can analyze the water that's around and get the idea of what may be present in the mm-hmm. Very interesting. So let's say that, that, that a plant might have um, arsenic or something in it or some concentration of some mineral. Would that, uh, and then if you have some knowledge about, let's say you're looking for gold, that gold might run with or might be associated with certain minerals, would this help you then identify drill targets possibly? It does. It helps a lot. One of our favorite tools that we use is the periodic table. I know when I was in high school, it wasn't so much fun to study all those elements, and there was (laughs) a lot of them, but you don't actually have to memorize all of them. The wonderful thing about this table is they're in columns. Mm -hmm. The columns mean that those elements have the same characteristics. Mm -hmm. So instead of having to study everything, all you need to actually have is the, the, 
the columns that go across. And so, for example, arsenic is in the same column as phosphorus, the same column as antimony, the same column as bismuth. With all of those in the same column, they all have similar characteristics, and those do concentrate with gold, which is in the same column as silver, which is in the same column as copper. Mm-hmm. So arsenic concentrates with copper, silver, and gold. Mm-hmm. Thinking of things that are matching columns or related columns makes it very easy. And everyone thinks, you know, geologists know all these different elements, and they're always so fooled by it. If you take a periodic table, it's kind of the uh, the Rosetta Stone for ge- for geochemistry. Mm-hmm. Very interesting. Um, yes, there's so much, and there and there have been lots of advances made in technology too. I know in looking at the old uh, mines, there's many places I know in Mexico where you work, uh, but it's true also in the United States in Nevada. When I travel around out there, I see little holes uh, poked in the hillside where mom and pop mining operations have taken place in the past. You know there's mineralization there. Or they wouldn't have been digging into those holes and so forth. But now we have, over the last, um, well, I don't know, 20, 30, 40, 50 years, advances in technology. You mentioned some in terms of information technology that makes the, uh, the, the work of a geologist, the mapping work of a geologist easier. But we also have a lot of technologies now that allow uh, geologists to see the structure, uh, you know, geological structure beneath the surface deeper than, than the hole you might dig for your geo, geochemistry uh, soil sampling and so forth. Could you talk a little bit about some of the, uh, the technologies that are available to look deeper into the earth and to try to find various structures that then can be explored further, uh, you know, once, you've, once you determine that a given structure has a mineral in it, then if you can identify that structure, then you might have be able to set up some drill targets. But could you tell our listeners a little bit about some of the technologies that are available now to allow geologists to have a sense of, of the structure on their properties. Yes, that's very helpful. And so geophysics is one of the great ways to do that. And aeromagnetic and the magnetic pull of the rocks and the gravitational pull of the rocks. Mm-hmm. What we're now able to do is see deeper with those tools. And another is with the energy, the electrical field. If we put an electrical current, then we can look at the polarity or the different pole and the different way that the energy goes through the rock. Often if you go and look at a press release or go look at a company's website that does this, or if you're studying and reading, you'll see these maps that are usually blue and red and have all kinds of stripes all over them, and they look like a bit like a funny painting there. What they are is they're looking at the field, of the, and the red is for high and the blue is for low most of the time, not always. And what you see is where you see the change in that, or you see the different features, will tell you where the, mag- the structures are. We like structures from the concentration of, of minerals because that's where we get a lot of fluid, and the fluid transports it. Some of the newest breakthroughs that we're using is the, uh, the new flying of, uh, of these techniques with more precision and also doing it on the ground and uh, doing it deeper with higher powers. It doesn't affect the animals or anything like that. It's not something that's loud or it's not something that's invasive. Mm-hmm. And so it's a very good tool. It's environmentally and socially quite rational. You don't need to chop anything down or cut anything, and you're able to get a sense for what's underneath the earth. It really saves a lot of time and money and makes it much more efficient for at least understanding the geology. You still have to find the mineralization. So all we know at that point is there may be 
uh, some geologic feature that's broken or, or separated, and that may be a good target. That mm -hmm. could be a concentration of elements that we want, such as gold or silver. Mm -hmm. Okay, so let's say we've identified one of you know a structure that would be you know potentially contain something that we're looking for, like gold or silver, or copper, what have you. Um, and then you put a drill hole down, and lo and behold, you do come up with you know a nice, let's say, a gram of gold over over a hundred meters, which would be phenomenal, uh, or at least really, very very encouraging. Uh, and then let's say that you let's say that you drill another hole um, oh, a mile away along the same structure, and that one also contains mineralization of a similar a similar scale, a similar magnitude. Uh, what sh how should investors be looking at at this uh, at at this story at this point in time, John Mark? When because, they have you know, that, they got that? When they hit that, please call me first before they call anyone else. <laughs> he would be so excited. So what you're asking is, when you hit something, how would we look at it? And so the first thing is scale. Mm -hmm. And so, Jay, it's wonderful when we think of a mile. A mile is a long way. Yes. The scale of these bodies are, are, uh, do sometimes get to be a mile. And when they do, they're owned by the billion-dollar companies because they're so valuable. Mm -hmm. But one of the key things is that minerals are very valuable. I mean, as you say, gold is worth $1,400 an ounce or something. It's a, it's a very valuable uh, element, and, uh, and, and prices go up and down and everything. But that's only one ounce, and if you go for a long distance. So when we say a, a gram, a gram is uh, only uh, one thirty second of that so mm -hmm. uh, of an ounce. So it's a very small amount compared to a, an ounce, but it's still quite a bit and, and valuable and so when we see a drill hole which is simply uh, and please go to my youtube video uh, yeah. to see the drill holes we have a fabulous video about drilling and um, a lot of people like it and it's a really good sense for people to see uh, what happens with drilling in the in the video there at, at John Mark's geo tutorial but in there when you hit that intercept for the drilling then you next step out is maybe a hundred meters or 200 meters away because if you hit on that you know you begin to get distance mm -hmm. so we really like to have intercepts and distance by doing the earlier work on the surface we already have an idea of how big it at least on the surface it may be but you know we know that the size of a typical body depending on the deposit style and, and everything maybe 300 meters or maybe a quarter of a mile 400 mm -hmm. meters to get to be uh, that distance long and then the, the concentration or the grade is not homogeneous. Yes. It's not the same. One of the important things for listeners and for people to realize is that the, the number that you see will vary in every hole. And it's mm -hmm. confusing because someone says, wow, you hit this number, you go next to it, and you don't hit the same number. Well, mm -hmm. that's because it's not all the same concentration. It's all ver somewhat variable, but by hitting and having the right indicators, we know an in bulk if you average it all together, and statistics plays a major part in what we're doing, mm -hmm. you get to feeling for what that volume will be. And when we do that, we begin to decrease the risks that we would otherwise see in trying to do the exploration. Mm -hmm. Well, so you mentioned statistics. Certainly uh, one of the issues that uh, some of the companies that I follow have uh, is that of a nuggeting effect. Sometimes you could put a drill hole down and get a phenomenally high value, put another drill hole down a short ways away and come up with zip, with nothing. Um, 
talk to us a little bit about the nuggeting effect, and, and I think you, you also mentioned the word bulk sampling or bulk a bulk tonnage, then you start to have confidence because if you have a large area, you can, you, you, you know, and, and then you can average it out and have a sense of what's there. But talk to us a little bit about the uh, about this issue of nuggeting. Nuggeting is very important. Investors really have to be aware that, and, and, and uh, Brent Cook is someone who's also written about this and, and has some information about it, and he, Jay, like yourself, is, is a uh, some of the, some of the people that are are very helpful at explaining this to the general public, but mm-hmm. what it is is it's it's something that's very rich but very spotty. Mm-hmm. A simple way to do it is to think about your yogurt. Your I like to look at it as your blueberry yogurt. You have a blueberry inside mm-hmm. a lot of white yogurt. Mm-hmm. You get a if you put your spoon in there and grab the blueberry, it'll taste really rich. And, but if you put your spoon and hit the white stuff, it's barren and it's mm-hmm. just blah white yogurt so that nuggets are little concentrations of in many cases in gold mm-hmm. gold is concentrated in little spots and mm-hmm. so you'll get a, a small fleck or a small concentration of gold and the nuggeting effect is that it is not representative it's very hard to statistically predict how many nuggets there'll be throughout a certain volume you need to do a lot of drilling and you need to put together a lot of holes to learn and then what we do is we cut the assays back, meaning we don't accept the highest numbers as being representative of the whole volume, mm-hmm. but we do realize that with nuggets, therefore, there is going to be more of those. And so it becomes into a lot of statistics and how many nuggets that you find. So it's a real challenge in doing an assay, to, in, in doing an interval, and, and being able to then predict what it would be over volume. The second part of nugget effect is what we call smearing or spreading that throughout the entire hole. For example, if we have an intercept in drilling of 100 meters that has a little bit of gold, but in one spot it hit a little flake that therefore calculates out, although we just took a small sample as being a a whole large number of ounces of gold, then it's somewhat not representative to say that that small spike would then be representative over the entire hole as a, a higher grade for the entire hole. What's happened instead is there's a small spike of gold and otherwise very low amount of material everywhere else. And someone might uh, instead say if it was 100 ounces in one meter, over that 100 meters, they would mistakenly interpret it as being 100 meters of, of one ounce. Mm-hmm. And that would really not represent what, what's actually there. Sure. So this nugget effect is something that, especially in, in gold mining, the high grades, we have to be careful on those. Sure. Investors should really be wary then of a one-hole report. I mean, you need to really think about these things and understand that it, it could be very misleading. To you, you certainly can't conclude, as you say, every drill hole is different. But there are different kinds of deposits, John Mark, uh, some of which are more inclined towards nuggeting than others. For example, I believe, correct me if I'm wrong, but if you're looking at a porphyry type of deposit, generally you might have a more uh, a more consistent uh, grading of, of mineralization than you might have in a vein deposit. Is that right? You're right on, Jay. You've been doing your homework for sure. And, you know, you've been studying these for so long, and you know them, and you're exactly right, Jay. And so what uh, what happens is that in a porphyry or also in uh, certain types of volcanic systems, uh, they actually have a larger, more homogeneous spread-out concentration. But in the vein systems, and then also in the systems that are deeper down in the earth, 
that we are talking about often, or even shallow, but in these vein systems, we do find that it will be very high concentrations in a very small area, maybe along a single slip or a single little fault. Mm-hmm. And so it isn't representative of the whole volume. And also at the angle at which you hit or crossed it, well, in your drilling, because as you drill it, drill it, you may not know the angle, and, and it may not be exactly obvious that you're drilling very, very much parallel to it. And so it's not the true width. So we have to be careful on, on looking at assays or drill results that are we getting the true width mm-hmm. or just the measured width. And usually, if you read in the text, they need to disclose what is the estimated true width of the intercept uh, as well as the uh, and maybe in a, a drawing that they may show, that's a really good help for listeners if they look at a picture and a drawing and they see that the drill hole goes straight across or perpendicular uh, right across the uh, the feature, then that's the true width. Well, certainly the true width is important also, John Mark, I believe, because once if you establish a mine, the mining widths are very, very important in terms of the economics of that. You know, we're... We're looking at uh, having to go to break now. This is going so so fast, John Mark. You have so much to say. I hope you can stay with us at the other side of the commercial break, but we do have to take a break right now. And uh, can you stick with us a little longer, John Mark? Love to. Thank you for the opportunity. Okay, great. We'll be right back, folks. Don't go away. Uh, We have to go to a commercial break. We'll be right back with John Mark in just two minutes. Don't go away. Stay connected. Sign up for our newsletter. Go beyond your favorite Voice America shows. Visit iradioblog.com. Crocodile Gold Corp is a new gold producer with bite. With operating gold mines in the Northern Territory of Australia, Crocodile Gold produced 82,000 ounces of gold in 2010. Crocodile Gold has significant exploration upside on its expansive land package of 2,500 square kilometres. Please visit our website at www.crocgold.com for more information. Don't let this snappy opportunity pass by. Great Panther Silver is a profitable primary silver producer trading on the Toronto Stock Exchange under the symbol GPR. GPR operates two 100% owned mines in Mexico, has a solid track record of increasing production, and continues to add resources and reserves. GPR has developed an organic growth strategy that will see production increase by more than 65% over the next two years. Great Panther Silver is also generating excitement at its new discovery in Guanajuato and expanding its drill program. Look for GPR on the TSX. Want to know more about how you can turn financial losses from the most devastating stock market and economic decline since the 1930s into wealth and prosperity? A successful strategy for dealing with adversity requires a proper diagnosis of the causes and solutions to underlying problems. By applying rarely taught Austrian economic theory to policies implemented by our policymakers, Jay Taylor has been able to triple the value of his model portfolio since 2000, while the stock market has been in the worst bear market in decades. At MiningStocks.com, Jay and his associates provide a framework for turning the pains of the current bear market and recession into investment gains. Jay is a frequent radio and TV guest and speaker at investment conferences where he shares his highly profitable Austrian economic insights at a time when most people are seeing their 401ks become 201ks or worse. He is available to share his rare profit-making insights via radio, TV, and public speaking engagements. To profit from Jay's insights, call 718 718- 
800-457-1426 or visit miningstocks.com to subscribe to his profitable newsletters. If you think you've seen online TV before, let us surprise you. VoiceAmerica.tv is online now. The leader in live Internet talk radio has done it again. Multiple channels, a state-of-the-art viewing experience, live and on-demand programs streaming 24 hours a day. It's exactly what you want, when you want it. VoiceAmerica.tv. From health and wellness to business, sports, and everything in between. Discover our new world. Visit VoiceAmerica.tv now and experience the future of online television. VoiceAmerica.tv. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. Welcome to the human race. Some kind of love and ride. I'll be sliding down, I'll be gliding down. Try not to try too hard. It's just a love you're listening to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with your host, Jay Taylor. If you have a question or comment about today's show, Jay would love to hear from you at 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. You can also send an email to questionsfortaylor at gmail.com. That's questions, the number four, taylor at gmail.com. Now, back to our program. Welcome back to Turning Hard Times into Good Times. I am your host, Jay Taylor, and I'm really pleased again to have back with me on this side of the commercial break, John Mark Stoudy, the president and CEO of Riverside Resources. John Mark, when we went to break, we were talking a little bit about, you mentioned true width, the the importance of not just the length of the drill intersection, but, you know, what is the true width of the of the uh, of the deposit? And, you know, because you're drilling angle holes, there's a calculation that needs to be there uh, that provided so a lot of companies provide that true width. We don't. We want to know something about the geometry of a deposit. Uh, once you start mining, if you're mining skinny little narrow veins that might that might extend to great depths uh, in the earth, uh, it's you have a lot of what we call mining dilution. And I know this gets into mining economics. And we're going to talk about mining economics in another session, probably in a week or two from now. Uh, but uh, let's talk a little bit about geometry um, when you're finding a deposit. If, if you could, uh, perhaps just address that briefly. Geometry is one of the most important characteristics. It's interesting because geometry is the shape, and the shape of the body you're trying to get out of or get the material out of from the, from the earth. So we have generally kind of the geometry can either be like a book or it can be like a basketball. It can either be a round blob or it can be a planar feature. Sometimes, unfortunately, it's just like a piece of paper. It's just a sheet, and those are the really difficult ones. And then what happens is that usually those geometries can also be affected by post-events, uh, post-geologic events that can actually ripple or, or deform it And when mm-hmm. it's pushed and rubbed. So imagine having a piece of paper that's then folded. Mm-hmm. Well, that's some of the complexities because... You want to get that gold that's in that uh, narrow geometry, perhaps mm-hmm. a piece of paper that's cut through the earth, and you want to extract just that piece of paper out of a large volume of earth. So if you attach your shovel and you dug, you'd get a lot of dirt plus that piece of paper. That would all be waste material. So geometry is very important, and different deposit types 
you really have different geometries. Mm-hmm. Some of them have a geometry that's kind of like a mushroom, where it comes up and then spreads out around. So if you had to dig that out, it's very easy. You just take the top of the mushroom, and you're happy, and you have a nice, uh, nice thing to go with. But other things that are very narrow and long can be difficult to do. Also, the geometry is vital for how we're going to drill and explore it, and how are we going to predict how are we going to estimate what might be there? Because when we do a drilling, a drilling is just a way of doing sampling. It's a way of testing something in the earth to sample what's down there. It's like taking your straw into the middle of your chocolate sundae. You shove it down there, and you get it. But, in fact, because the chocolate sundae is all the same material, you get all chocolate sundae. If you actually had a rippled sundae where you have thick chocolate and otherwise vanilla, you would suck it up, and part of the time you'd get vanilla, and part of the time you'd get chocolate as you shove your, your straw through it. So these straws, call them drill holes that go through, help us to tell what's happening at depth. And then the geometry, and uh, there, there are these long planar features. We have to do a number of holes to then begin to guess what and estimate what might be the uh, overall concentration or grade and uh, can characteristics of the mineralization on those on those uh, bodies. Mm-hmm. John Mark, uh, really, as you're following and investing in a junior exploration company, we're really looking at probabilities of success, aren't we? And the probability of actually going out, finding a mine, and taking it through to production, or just finding a deposit that ends up being a producing mine, is is what? It's a very low percentage, isn't it? It's an incredibly low percentage. But one of the wonderful things about for your investors is the companies don't have to build a mine. The project can be increased in value as it gets closer and begin to get higher probabilities or chances that it does become a mine. Mm-hmm. But right at the beginning, the first uh, occurrence is finding mineralization. The likelihood that from a spot of having mineralization, that that mineralization, call it uh, a gold of one, one, one ounce or, or 10 grams or something per ton at that spot is going to become a mine is very low. It's, mm-hmm. it's, it's tens of thousands or hundreds of thousands of to one. I mean, just, just mm-hmm. huge numbers, a million to one shot at this mm-hmm. spot. And, and in fact, it's not every spot. So not if you, it's billions to one, just, just in terms of high, high risk spot. But then as you begin to get intercepts and you begin to get geometries that fit together, you begin to have lower risk, higher chances, higher probability that it could become a mine. There are lots of factors that affect the probability, and, uh, and, and the probabilities get better probability through doing more work, through doing the exploration work. But the, the, pro- the chances of a spot becoming a mine are very, very low, and the, the risks of the probability is very, very low probability. Okay, what you say is certainly true, John Mark, but it is also true, I know, that there are, you know, there are deposits that are now being mined that would not have been mines in the past. For example, um, I I dare say in the 1930s, you would not be mining uh, deposits that are a gram per ton for the most part. I mean, that just wouldn't have happened. We have now open pit heap leaching, new technologies have come on, not only for production of gold, but also... Uh, in the discovery of it <clears throat> that allows us to find things the low hanging fruit has been has been picked to a great extent you know the people the the gold rush of 1849 was not high technology for the most part it was shovels and picks basically people uh, and and um, you know panning in the streams 
now uh, you know the gold that's sitting on the on the surface in mountains and uh, at least in areas of the world where people live. It's uh, there's not that much of it around anymore. So isn't it also true that while maybe at this point in time the probability of finding a mine uh, with uh, with that uh, you know example or two that you gave where you find you know ten meters of, of a third of a grant a third of an ounce or something might not be very great, but maybe in the future sometime ten years twenty years the next gold bull market it might be found is that possible? So you're exactly right that we found the things that are at the surface and easier to find. Also, we need bigger deposits now because we have higher demands. Mm -hmm. Therefore, it's allowed us to go to lower concentrations or lower grades because the price goes up. There, we have found the easy things. Also, we found the things close to most where people live. So now we don't want to build mines in people's backyards. We try to try to go look in new areas where it's not so highly populated. So we have less area to search. We also have uh, have lots of different uh, conditions, and we don't want to hurt the hurt the uh, environment. So places that are scenic and things like that, we we want to take those out of the register of uh, where we would do exploration. So there's lots of different factors that are affecting, and so correct that over time it becomes more risky for find. It's seeming to become more risky to find new deposits and bigger deposits. They're fewer and more have been found. The easy ones have been found. We're not running out of deposits. There's, as the, the economics uh, get better in terms of higher value for them, we can mine other things and new technologies for extraction also help us to take. But the higher grade ones that are near the surface are, are fine, and they're not being created newly. So we do have increasing uh, uh, using of those and taking of those. And also, as a society, we begin to knock off areas where we no longer want to have mineral development, and we as a society uh, choose to no longer develop things there. Also, political risk in other countries where they may not want to allow for, uh, for people other than themselves or even their own countrymen to develop or take those resources. So you're exactly right that through time the, uh, we're having fewer deposits to necessarily find although we are coming up with new ideas and interpretations that uh, allow us to make new discoveries as well. Mm -hmm. And, of course, as the price rises, uh, price demands, uh, as demand rises for a given mineral or a given metal, right now gold is, is gold and silver are very, very uh, hot. They're hot items because the market is demanding it to as a replacement for paper money, uh, and that's a market function. And, of course, as the price rises, you can do things, I mean, at $1,400, Gold, you couldn't have done it six hundred dollar gold or eight hundred dollar gold. So we're seeing uh, obviously a lot of a lot of very excite a lot of excitement in our industry right now, John Mark, where there's you know potential to go out and make and make a lot of money on these high risk high return endeavors called exploration. You know, one of the biggest risks that uh, that I know you you are very much aware of, and I am as well, for investors who buy junior mining companies, companies that don't have cash flow, they're companies that have to go back to raise more capital on a regular basis so that they can put more drill holes down. Um, yeah, talk to us a little bit about the risks of raising capital, and also I might just ask you to talk a little bit about the project generator model, which I know is is the model that you're using at Riverside. It's a model that I know Rick Rule, a very successful investor, told me that's where he makes most of his money is in 
the project generator models because you avoid a lot of the exploration risk. Talk to our listeners just a little bit about how the project or prospect generator model reduces risk uh, and allocates capital efficiently for its shareholders. So we have two questions, as you said. First off is the risks around capital. Mm -hmm. And at different times, there's access to capital. When there's uh, metal prices are high, people want to find more, and so then there's money available and there's investors, and you can get money to drill. And that's a wonderful time, and there's lots of new discoveries, and people do make a lot of money. And, uh, you know, and particularly the investors can make a lot of money in the, in the stock market, but there's a lot of risks there. So you want to be very careful that you realize there's a lot of speculation whenever you're in these things. And, and, it's, and then the commodity cycles, uh, either China or something happens in the world, inflation, and then uh, all of a sudden the metal prices change. And then the exploration, people don't want any more of those commodities or those things, and the prices go down. And then it's very difficult to get money for exploration. And the projects stall. They can't be advanced. No one has additional money. And so there's a lot of uh, challenges to get access to capital. When you get the capital, it's very important that the companies spend that money toward drilling or toward expanding and growing their resources that they have. A way to do one way to partner in that is a prospect generator business model. This is uh, for the company that I run called Riverside Resources. is a business approach where we generate properties for us for at Riverside. We use a huge database. We use a lot of experience, and everyone in the Riverside team has 10 or 15, 20 years of experience in geology in a place that we know very well. So we generate ideas, acquire projects. Build, develop the, uh, the concepts of a target, and then we find partners who can bring the capital to spend and earn in to the project through drilling and exploration. So it's a partnership model. A lot of the companies don't need partners. They have a lot of capital. They can have access to capital, and they can drill. The problem is that drilling is expensive in its dilution. Uh, it creates a lot of dilution of the company, that you have to do in order to, uh, in doing the drilling. At Riverside, we've been going five years and only have 32 million shares out because we have not had to do so much dilution. We have about $10 million in the bank. We actually use the capital to prospect, generate, generating new properties. What um, that does is that changes the risk profile. So people that want the full ownership of a project would, would want to drill it themselves. That's really good as long as there's good markets. Mm-hmm. If the market goes the other way, it becomes difficult because there's no more capital. Mm-hmm. And at that point, how does the project grow? It, it really can't. It, it stalls. It stops for a while until there's another good market. Another good market happens, and then the company can again proceed. In a good market, companies will be bought out. And by drilling your own assets and owning them, you'll be bought out. The prospect generator model uh, tries to therefore have projects in a boom market where the partner may be bought out, and therefore the interest percentage that the prospect generator has would also be bought out. Potentially, even the prospect generator may be bought out. Mm-hmm. So the prospect generator model works well in the uh, in the good times, but works a lot better in the bad times. Sure. You uh, preserve your capital to, to live and see another day. Uh, John Mark, you have, uh, of course, uh, using a lot of the things you talked about today that is less capital-intensive and more um, 
let's say, intellectually uh, intensive. You are using your your geological experience to, first of all, locate prospects um, that uh, uh, properties that are good prospects for the reasons, some of the reasons that we talked briefly about today. Uh, and and then uh, you know taking it another step or two with relatively low amounts of capital spent and then let others come in and really do the high risk uh, or the big the big dollar expenditures and it's it's really worked remarkably well you've uh, you know I like to tell my my subscribers that maybe uh, the prospect generator model isn't always the most exciting but it's the kind of because because you might have to wait a while before one of those properties really hits and and some of the other companies that might be focused on one or two properties are going to roll the dice and if they come up big they can come up big early but the chances are it seems and this is what I've observed over the years John Mark is that these companies more often than not are going to have to go back to the well and raise more capital time and time again and the early investors the people that came in with that hope and that dream early on find themselves uh, the upside severely limited um, and sometimes uh, worse than that. You know, today we've talked an awful lot, uh, we've talked a lot about exploration, um, and we touched a little bit on economics, John Mark. Uh, what I'd like to have you do is come back sometime in, in the near future, maybe in the next week or so, and talk about the bigger picture economics. There are many things we didn't talk about. We just, as I say, we focused on ex on exploration, but there's so many aspects of financial risks. There's uh, managerial risks. There's political risks, uh, environmental risks. Uh, there's uh, you know metallurgical issues and so forth. Capital, uh, financial. There's just a whole lot of things that people need to be cognizant of. And I know that that you, as you set up early stage exploration, you're thinking in those terms. Uh, as soon as possible on an ongoing basis, but what I want to do is have you back sometime in the near future, let's say perhaps next week, to come back and talk to our listeners about the bigger picture economics. Once we've discovered a deposit, once we have um, a, a, uh, you know, a, a deposit in the ground that's recognized statistically, uh, confidence, uh, confident le confidence levels are very high from a statistical basis, then where do we go from there and what are the risks uh, going forward into the future that investors need to be aware of? So would you be able to come back with us next week and discuss that some more, John Mark? For sure. No, I put in, that's great. No, I can. A lot of the characteristics that we've discussed in the show today, I've made the series of YouTube videos. Mm -hmm. those, those YouTube videos are helpful for all the exploration characteristics that we've talked about today that help to de-risk a project. And you're right, the exploration risks are something that Riverside Resources we really focus on. And exactly, we'd love to be back next week or another time in, in the near future to talk about the larger economic risks. That's a, a key factor, and that's why the Riverside business model and, and the approach that we do tries to use that. And we actually have an economist, uh, economics uh, professor on the board of Riverside mm -hmm. because we really believe that economics uh, for running the company and for really bringing economics to the uh, mineral exploration business can make a great value for shareholders. Oh, I absolutely agree with that. The risks, we talked about risks. I would like to remind our, uh, our listeners that it's also the reward side of this equation goes along, goes along with it. They're, they are related where you have higher risks. You also have uh, many times higher rewards. And, John Mark, just for the convenience of our listeners, if you could tell them one more time where they can catch these YouTube um, interviews that you've done and uh, uh, illustrations, uh, geological uh, lessons that you teach on the Internet, where can they go? They can go at www.rivres.com. That's www.rivres.com. 
R-I-V-R-E-S.com. You could also just go to the YouTube, and on YouTube, look up John Marks, just my name, J-O-H-N hyphen M-A-R-K, Geo Tutorial. The easier way, or another way, is simply to go and search at YouTube and just search up Riverside Resources and John Marks Geo Tutorial, and it'll all come up. Well, thank you very much, John Mark. It's been a pleasure having you with us again, and uh, and it's going to be a pleasure having you back again next week. Hopefully, we can do it next week, or if not, it will be very near in the future. Very, very near in the future. I want to thank you so much again. Well, folks, don't go away. We're going to be right back with Ian Gordon, who agrees with me, and I think John Mark as well, that we now have a buying opportunity of a lifetime for gold mining shares. Ian is a def- is a deflationist, and he points out that during periods of deflation, gold tends to gain purchasing power which in turn leads to rising gold mining profit margins. Don't go away. You're not going to want to miss Ian Gordon. We'll be right back. 